0: Produced in association with KPMG Australia, this is What Happens Next with Bernard Salt.
1: Hello, I'm Bernard Salt. On this edition of the program, we look at how technology is playing a vital role in providing healthcare to patients during COVID-19.
2: Telehealth, particularly, is something that we're seeing clinicians now turning to and embracing in huge numbers.
3: The health battle is the battle that all Australians are enlisted in as we fight this virus. And
1: I also speak to global healthcare expert, Dr. Mark Britnell, who says that now more than ever, the world needs to unite to fight the pandemic.
4: No healthcare system is an island. No country is an island. This virus does not recognise national borders. So I think more than ever now, countries are rediscovering the adage that health is wealth.
1: That's all coming up on the program when we discover what happens next. Well, it's clear that although the COVID-19 pandemic has had devastating effects around the world, there are also opportunities that have emerged. The silver lining has shown that we are now cutting red tape. Businesses are pivoting to new models and we're all adapting to new technologies. This is particularly evident in the healthcare sector. Driven by necessity, we have seen a huge uptake of technology to provide both critical and general care.
5: We have moved to the third stage of telehealth with allowing additional calls from home. Uh, We are looking through the design in having a whole of population telehealth capacity. That means for mental health, allied health, general practice.
1: To look further into the role technology is playing in the healthcare system in relation to COVID-19, I caught up with Dr Meredith Makeham, Chief Medical Advisor for the Australian Digital Health Agency, and Warren Bingham, Executive Director of MedTech. I started by asking Meredith if we will continue to use healthcare technology in new ways.
2: The things that are really exciting that are happening right now, which um, Australians have been waiting for for quite a while, uh, A stuff like electronic prescribing. And, you know, I hope that that's a change that's here to stay. We'll start to learn how to use it and embrace it. And what that means is that you've got um, an improved safety system as well for medicines. So for a prescription to come in a digital form to your mobile phone that you can share with the pharmacist of your choice and have dispensed there and all the information is stored in a place where you can see it in your My Health Record, you know, that's a big step to combat some of the basic problems we've got in Australia right now with people who are dying from avoidable harm related to medication safety events. So the stuff that we've had, you know, we saw the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia in 2019 give us some really alarming numbers about sort of 250,000 a year adverse events in medicine errors costing $1.4 billion a year. 50% of those they estimate are preventable. So if we can improve the way we can share our medicines information and get visibility of it when we need it, you know, people are less likely to come to harm when they encounter the health system. And that is critically important that that we think about the way digital technology can support us to provide better, safer care to people. Warren, if
1: there's another pandemic at some point, say later in the 2020s, is Australia in a fundamentally better position to respond to a new challenge because of our experience with the coronavirus?
5: I think so, um, and, and I think because we've we as a country have gone through an incredible uh, experience with the COVID nineteen pandemic, and uh, we have seemingly done an impressive job as an entire population in adhering to the challenges. But there is certainly going to be lots of lessons learned. And uh, I'd like to think that we are and will be in a much stronger position if we were to face further pandemics down the track. Let's hope not, but um, I suspect we should be prepared for it for sure.
1: Meredith, early on, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced large support for the healthcare system.
5: But today we are
3: announcing also support of $1.1 billion, which has been foreshadowed today. Now, that has been done in in four tranches. There is the the Medicare subsidised telehealth services, so people can continue... How is that received by
1: the sector?
2: Well, look, Bernard, it's been actually very well received because I think it's really shown a recognition of the important role that particularly primary care is playing in making sure that we can continue high quality safe care for Australians while they're going through this really challenging time with the uh, social is- isolation measures in place. And, you know, telehealth particularly is something that we're seeing clinicians now turning to and embracing in huge numbers. And it's certainly something that's now come in as a regular addition to my practice as a GP. Um, All of my colleagues and many people in medicine and other clinical professions are embracing the the telehealth measures particularly. So if you look at the numbers, it's, it's really amazing. I mean, telehealth measures were actually introduced in 2011 in Australia. And in the first nine years that we had them, there were less than a million consultations billed altogether. And in the seven weeks since they changed those offerings for for telehealth measures in early March this year, there were close to 7.5 million services delivered in telehealth. So a huge increase in um, people actually using telehealth as a way to deliver care to people in their homes.
1: I might ask Warren this how do you see the new reality for Australia's healthcare sector post-COVID-19?
5: So I think one question would be is what is the behaviour going to be like? A key part of that that Meredith also mentioned is that legislative uh, support uh, and government support uh, and appetite for support needs to remain in the general healthcare sector outside of a COVID-related conversation. So what I mean by that, is that if the ongoing Medicare benefit schedule item fees for telehealth that are, I think, finishing at the end of September, if they stop, then we'll be forcing behavior back to what we considered normal. Ideally, what I'd like to see is, and what I think many of us would like to see, is that that doesn't happen in that particular fashion and that there is a new norm and it combines both what we've known as traditional and, uh, uh, if you will, the new behavior. But I think Moving beyond telehealth, there is, in Australia, we have some 250, maybe 300 medical device digital health companies in that sector. These organisations don't always survive for a whole variety of reasons. But one of the challenges is the clinical uh, integration of their technology and the funding of those services to which those technologies help support.
1: Warren, what are the medical technology developments on the horizon that you think will make a difference both in Australia and globally?
5: Well, one of the things that we've learned through this COVID-19 pandemic is the need to be able to care for, manage, consult and assess and monitor patients outside of a face-to-face healthcare environment. And if there's ever been a time that has uh, elevated the importance of technology as an interface to do that, that's certainly been uh, the last few weeks. So, in the area of technology development, we're going to see a number of very exciting uh, platforms that will enable medical grade monitoring. Uh, and when I say medical grade, we're talking about uh, uh, levels of accuracy as if the doctor were next to the patient. But the difference being is that patients will be able to wear garments such as t-shirts or put a band around their chest and uh, we'll be able to monitor them 24-7 remotely uh, of the of their vital signs, their temperature, their respiration, their heart rate and so forth. Data is another area um, and be able to monitor patients remotely and collect data in the process will also continue its integration in the healthcare system. I hope we'll, we'll see an, uh, uh, an increase of utilisation in the future.
1: Meredith and Warren, thanks for joining me. we've looked at how Australia's healthcare sector is dealing with the impact of the coronavirus, but what about the rest of the world? How are various healthcare systems across the globe equipped to handle the pandemic? To find out more I spoke to Dr Mark Britnell, former Director-General at the UK's Department of Health, best-selling author and KPMG's Global Head of Healthcare. Dr Mark Britnell, welcome to the program.
4: Well, it's good to speak to you Bernard uh, all the way from London.
1: Mark, in the wake of COVID-19, there's been massive public support for healthcare workers across the globe. I think even Boris Johnson was recently sighted outside 10 Downing Street clapping for NHS workers. <laughs> to what extent will this support raise awareness of the importance
4: of healthcare workers? And do we need more of them?
6: Thank you, NHS, thank you very much, much. thank you. you.
4: I think that's a great question, Bernard. And the short answer is, yes, it will raise awareness. What we're seeing is that nearly every system, whether it's a public um, funded system or a for-profit private system like the United States, no one has sufficient capacity. Now, we can talk about a lack of ventilators or a lack of PPE supplies, but the real rate limiting factor to expanding most countries' health systems is their availability of staff. And I think many countries now, just to name a few France, uh, Italy, and Spain, uh, are now reflecting on what it means to have a very well supported health system because clearly. Now, having a well funded, well staffed, well equipped health system enables you to come out of uh, economic recession just that little bit quicker. Clearly, many parts of the economy have had to close to ensure that their nation's health systems weren't um, completely swamped uh, in terms of a tsunami of COVID need. So If we have a more resilient health system, we have a more resilient nation. And by turn or in turn, we have a more resilient economy. So I think more than ever now, countries are rediscovering the adage that health is wealth. And when Boris Johnson, of course, uh, who's had his own, sadly, his own personal scare with COVID... Um, When he stands outside, as we all do, on a Thursday evening in the United Kingdom, and I know it's not just the United Kingdom that is uh, applauding our first-line, frontline clinical staff and also all the support workers and people who work in different industries, I think there's a much bigger question about which members of society are key essential workers.
1: I agree. I think there is a great reassessment going on in terms of the value-reward equation maybe a downscaling of the role of celebrities and influencers, and an upscaling of the role of supermarket shelf fillers. Uh, Just picking up your point about Boris Johnson, he experienced firsthand the critical care and expertise that the NHS delivers. Do you think that this will have any impact on healthcare policy in Britain in the future?
4: Well, first of all, you'll notice that he's uh, actually um, included the name of the doctors uh, who were called Nick mm. in his son's uh, name. I want to pay my own thanks to the utterly
6: brilliant doctors, leaders in their fields, uh, men and women, but several of them for some reason called Nick, who took some crucial decisions a few days ago, for which I will be grateful for the rest of my life.
4: So in one sense, uh, there's been a profound, I think, sense of recognition from the Prime Minister. But yes, of course, more widely, I think to be fair to the government in the United Kingdom at the moment, clearly they um, were looking to enshrine the largest single increase in cash absolute terms in the NHS. So I think if you ask them, they would say, we've already started to recognise the value of the health service by increasing the amount of funding going into the health service. Um, clearly now the statements from all of the ministerial team and the cabinet, including the Prime Minister. In the
6: last seven days I have, of course, seen the pressure that the NHS is under.
4: Every single day when we have our Covid briefings, clearly paying thanks to the NHS staff. I've
6: seen the personal courage, not just of the doctors and nurses, but of everyone, the cleaners, the cooks, the healthcare workers of every description.
4: To Obviously to recognise, sadly, uh, nearly 200 health staff have passed away through contracting the virus.
6: Who've kept coming to work, kept putting themselves in harm's way, kept risking this deadly virus. It is thanks to that courage, that devotion, that duty and that love that our NHS has been unbeatable
4: as well as now nearly 30,000 people in the United Kingdom, uh, tragically. But I think, once again, when Boris Johnson said at the beginning of this crisis and his Chancellor said, we will give the NHS whatever it needs, certainly in terms of facing the crisis, that has certainly been the case.
1: Mark, do you think that the UK and Australia, as examples, will be better prepared for the next pandemic should it surface within 10 years or so or do you think this has been a terrible experience but um, we're unlikely to learn the lessons that we need to
4: No I think I think every country will will learn the lessons. I say that not only because of the, the fact that every country in the world is experiencing some sort of lockdown. Uh, this is as we know economically much worse than the financial crisis of 2008 much worse than any crisis in living memory. Um, I think governments are also realising, because the amount of money they're having to borrow to keep people's pay flowing into their pockets, that they cannot ever afford to fall asleep at the wheel because the the consequences in terms of human life and economic prosperity are just too great. So I I do think um, governments will learn the lessons
2: in the space of just a few hours, we have collectively pledged 7.4 billion euros for vaccines, diagnostics and treatments. I think
4: already there's been talk, as you've seen across the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the World Bank and others, that there needs to be more global cooperation. And I, I, I think what's important is, as well as individual countries learning their lessons, surely there are global lessons to learn about how quickly and transparently information is passed from one country to other, because we know that the virus can spread more quickly than any information flow. But I think we need a new level, a new form of global cooperation, which is difficult to say in these um, fraught times. But as I've said in articles that I've published over the last few weeks, you know, no healthcare system is an island, no country is an island, this virus does not recognize national borders and there has to be a new and revamped level of global pandemic planning.
2: All this money will help kick-start unprecedented global cooperation and it will create a truly unique global public good. This is the true power
4: of unity and of humanity. The future of the world, without any sense of hyperbole, rests on global cooperation. So I think that's likely to be the biggest area of scrutiny. And we must put that right going forward. We, we have to as a human race.
1: Dr Mark Britnell, thanks for helping us discover What Happens Next.
0: Hi, I'm Whitney Fitzsimmons, the executive producer of What Happens Next. And now it's time for something a little different, the part where I get to interview our host and resident demographer, Bernard Salt. So Bernard, I'm interested to hear from your perspective as a demographer, what are you seeing that's really surprised you on the positive side that's come out of this uh, pandemic?
1: Well, there have been positives that have come out of this pandemic. And I must say, at the very beginning of the lockdown, I was not confident that Australians would comply with the requests, the rules of the lockdown, that we wouldn't be allowed out. And that was evident very much in the flouting that went on very early on. There was those photographs, for example, at Bondi. And I thought, this is is not, (laughs) this doesn't look good.
3: What happened at Bondi Beach was not okay and served as a message to federal and state leaders that too many Australians are not taking these issues seriously enough.
1: It it sort of runs counter to the Australian mindset to comply to authority. I wasn't confident going into this that we would actually uh, do what was required, and yet that is precisely what happened. When push came to shove, we placed our faith and trust in our fellow Australians and in the leadership at the time, and we came out the other side. I think that we have come out of the lockdown as a stronger community with a greater level of trust going into the lockdown, I do think there was an issue of trust. We didn't trust uh, big institutions or authority figures and certainly political leadership coming out the other side. I think that we have learned by placing faith in each other, by doing the right thing, you can actually achieve a, a terrific result. What I want to make sure is that we don't leave that thinking Back in the lockdown, we actually build on that and actually create a more unified, a more galvanised Australia going forward. That can be the foundation for building a better Australia where we're actually rebuilding trust in each other and in society.
0: So, Bernard, are you actually saying that you think that Australians are less cynical coming out of this
1: pandemic? I think going into the pandemic, we were very cynical, but I don't think anyone, I mean, it's, it's shocked a lot of Australians how well we have done and how much we have complied with the rules, the regulations. Of course, you get people who didn't do the right thing, but the vast majority of Australians did, and we have achieved these fantastic results as a consequence.
3: Be encouraged, Australia, that we are successfully making our way through this difficult battle on two fronts. And we're certainly doing it
1: better than many and most around the world today. Wouldn't it be wonderful in the rebuilding of Australia, the rebuilding of society beyond the lockdown, if we take that very strong sense of faith and trust in the community, in each other, in our relationships, in our neighbourhood, in our relationship with our employees and, and bosses, that we can actually create a better and stronger Australia going forward.
0: You know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that you and Mark spoke about was the redefining of essential workers. And you remarked about how we might see a reshaping of that, less celebrity and more um, of jobs that weren't necessarily seen to be so essential in the past. Do you want to just expand on what you meant by that?
1: There is no doubt that going into the lockdown that we were very much a celebrity-focused society. Celebrity and influencers were canvassed for their opinions on everything. And very early on in the lockdown, a number of celebrities, particularly those coming out of Hollywood, were posting all of these things online showcasing how much they identified with the trials and tribulations of everyone uh, being cooped up in their homes. And they were show- showcasing their fabulous mansions and it was not well received by society. It was almost <laughs> as if, look, celebrities and influencers, how about you just stay offline and let's focus on supporting and encouraging the essential workers and the volunteers, even people like supermarket shelf fillers, I think we suddenly re-evaluated how important they were to making society operate correctly or efficiently.
0: And not so much reality TV.
1: Well, not so much reality TV. <laughs> Hopefully we have passed peak Kardashian, if my theory <laughs> of the demise of celebrities uh, is correct. no, It's a very, very inward self-interested era that we have come from.
0: Bernard, essential workers include those in healthcare, which Mark mentioned, but also Meredith and Warren spoke about the increased role of technology in healthcare. As a futurist, what's your prediction there?
1: Well, there's no doubt that uh, technology is a major front In terms of the future of healthcare, there's so many different options and so many different ways in which uh, healthcare will be reimagined by the evolution of technology. I think we'll see a greater use of technology through telephones and technology that will measure, for example our um, blood pressure or our temperature or the amount of oxygen in our blood then being loaded up into phones and then sent to a central database. Issues like or opportunities like mass temperature screening. So if you're at a shopping centre, as you walk in, your temperature should show up on a screen. And if there is a problem, then that would be managed. And then, of course, digital health records. Again, this comes back to the issue of security and privacy. But this is where I would imagine health and technology is moving to it over the next decade or so.
0: I thought it was really interesting what Warren had to say about the uh, remote monitoring of patients and that they're working toward devices where a patient can wear a t-shirt that can send very accurate information back to physicians.
1: Well, I like that idea. I certainly picked up on that as well. I'm not sure whether these are t-shirts with brand names across them or peace slogans (laughs) or something like that, uh, or whether they're just an ordinary t-shirt, but certainly this would be a way of the future that um, it's very hard for us to imagine at the moment, but that would be a, um, certainly a, a breakpoint, a game changer in terms of management or early detection of issues in pandemic control.
0: All right. Well, that's all for the program. Thank you, Bernard.
1: Thank you, Whitney. And thank you for listening to What Happens Next.
0: listening to What Happens Next with Bernard Salt. Produced in association with KPMG Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.